and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, episode 26. As always, I'm your host, Harry Simiou, and we've got plenty to discuss on this week's show. We'll be reacting to the victory up at Newcastle United, talking Lucas Torreira, Granit Xhaka, Aaron Ramsey, and of course, Ivan Gazidis. This show is brought to you by loserpool.com. Please be sure to check them out. And if you stay right till the end, you'll be able to hear a little bit more about what Loserpool is all about. My guests this evening are two of the finest football journalists I've come across, Harry DeCosimo and the Evening Standards, James Benj. But before we hear from the two of them, I'm going to share some of my thoughts after the victory up at Newcastle United this weekend. A third successive victory up at a ground where we happened to get beat last season. So that's always pleasing to see improvement, uh, of course. Now, I think the biggest positive to come from Saturday's game was the Xhaka Torreira partnership. I thought Lucas Torreira, when he came on, was fantastic. He gave us a little bit more urgency in the midfield, some discipline, um, and allowed Xhaka to really step forward and play his game, as well as being positive himself. You know, Lucas Torreira, it seems like every other touch is a pass and a forward pass at that. That's something we've been discussing on the radio in recent weeks. And, and you know, the more I watch him, the more I think... That, that is, of course, the case. Now, many of you would have questioned why Lucas Torreira didn't start, why he was on the bench uh, at the beginning. And I guess, whilst I can't be sure, I guess the fact that he went off injured whilst on international duty last weekend would have had an impact on Unai Emery's thinking. You know, he went off complaining of a tight calf. He sat there with ice on it uh, throughout the duration of the second half. So, I don't know for sure that that's the case, but I'd imagine that that would have played a massive part in, in Emery's decision not to start him and to persist with Matteo Guendouzi and Granit Xhaka. Now, just touching on Matteo Guendouzi for a minute now, he's shown great promise in his, his early days at Arsenal. There's no doubt about that. He's a young player, relatively inexperienced. And so that all needs to be taken into account. I personally think it's a good thing if he's taken out of the firing line for a few weeks. I think he he started very, very well. I think his performances, I wouldn't say have dipped, but I, I wouldn't say they're as eye-catching as they were perhaps, let's say, at Stamford Bridge earlier on in the season. I think with Guendouzi, one thing that I've noticed is he tends to play the safer pass a lot, as opposed to Torreira, who, who's more forward-thinking and more perhaps decisive in in his play. I just think that, you know, a lot of the stats that people are talking about in regards to Guendouzi, they're a little bit misleading because, yes, his passing accuracy is there. But I guess if you're playing the safe pass most of the time, then that is going to be the case. I mean, if you cast your mind back in history to somebody like, let's say, Claude Makélélé during his days at Real Madrid, I'm sure his passing accuracy would have been fantastic. But it doesn't mean he was a better passer of the ball than, say, Zinedine Zidane or Luis Figo. It's just that, when you're playing the easy option, then you're bound to get it right more often than not. Now, much has been made of Socrates' uh, supposed lack of pace uh, since his arrival at Arsenal. It's been something that people have been concerned about for quite some time, including myself. I've spoken on this podcast in the past about how I thought he was second rate, how I thought he was a little bit sluggish, uh, physically maybe not quite up to the Premier League well. 
I was proven wrong this weekend because he showed some brilliant recovery pace on a couple of occasions, particularly when Mustafi slipped when trying to deal with a long ball. I think the two of them are forming a pretty decent partnership. You know, we have conceded goals this season. We have looked shaky at the back, but I, I think that's more as a collective unit, as opposed to those two as individuals making errors. So, you know, positive signs. Socrates seems to be finding his feet here in England, and uh, that, that's really pleasing to see. Now, let's talk about Granit Xhaka, a player who I feel is uh, criticised excessively by certain sections of our Arsenal uh, fan base. The thing is, I thought he played really well again at the weekend. I thought he's been, he played really well against West Ham. I thought he was really good against Cardiff too. So there's definitely an improvement in his performances. I think him sitting alongside Lucas Torreira, like I said earlier on, just seems to get the best out of both of those players. And to see him put a free kick in the top corner like that was absolutely fantastic. And I thoroughly enjoyed that moment. Noticed he sort of ran over to the fans and sort of cupped his ear as if to say, yeah, what are you going to say now? Um, so really, really enjoyed that. Also, Mesut Ozil got himself on the score sheet. Another player who's divided opinion of late. He's been quite clearly lacking in confidence, in my opinion. There's been a lot of talk of the manager not quite fancying him. I don't think that's the case. Emery talked him up pre-match. Um, so, you know, if you asked me in particular who I would have liked to have seen score uh, from the Arsenal team, I would have picked those two players, Xhaka and Ozil, because I think they needed it probably more than anybody else in the squad. Uh, just touching on the manager, you know, Unai Emery, for me, has just continued to show that he's proactive as opposed to reactive. He makes changes at halftime. Um, if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. He's not afraid to ruffle feathers. He's not afraid to leave people out. And he's not afraid to hook players that perhaps Arsene Wenger maybe wouldn't have in years gone by. It's our third win on the spin, Everton and Watford to come both at home. It's a real opportunity for us to string a run of results together here and and, and stake a claim for a top four place, you know, at least be there or thereabouts and be challenging in the latter stages of the season. Unfortunately, we couldn't keep a clean sheet. It's frustrating, but you shouldn't let that put a downer on the result. At the end of the day, we've won three on the bounce. Let's enjoy it. Let's celebrate because exciting times are ahead for Arsenal. Of course, we've got a Europa League tie coming up this Thursday. Hardly the most glamorous of ties. Vorskla from the Ukraine are in town. Um, but, you know, it's a chance to see the likes of, of Bernd Leno, uh, Licksteiner, a few others, Elneny, Welbeck, Iwobi, I'm sure they'll all be involved. So Arsenal have scored 10 goals this season and we've had 10 different goal scorers. That's pretty incredible. Spreading it around the team. There's no over-reliance on one particular player. Um, of course, Pedacek looked a little bit shaky once again with the ball at his feet. Um, you know, I can remember one particular moment in the first half where Mustafi played the ball back to him and he ended up putting it out of a, for a corner. But that stemmed from a poor pass onto his weaker foot. You know, you've got to take that into account as a centre-back. We were speaking to John Lukic on the A Little Bit Arsenal show last week and he was saying exactly that, that defenders need to take some responsibility. You know, you know he's a left-footed keeper. You know he's not particularly comfortable. So playing it to his right foot in a really difficult position and from a really difficult angle isn't doing your goalkeeper any favours. 
Right, that's enough from me. We're going to take a short break. And when we return, we'll be talking to football journalist Harry DeCosimo, who was up at St. James's Park this weekend doing his thing from the press box. The Chronicles of Aguna 2017-18 is now on sale. The Chronicles of Aguna tells the story of Arsenal's final season through a supporter's eyes, attempts to shed light on some of the season's major talking points and features exclusive interviews with Ray Parler, Kevin Campbell, Tom Watt and Robbie Lyle. Available to order now from Amazon, Waterstones and all major bookstores, The Chronicles of Aguna 2017-18. Order your copy now by clicking the link in the description. Joining me on the line is football journalist Harry DeCosimo. Welcome back, mate. Twice in a week on the Chronicles of Aguna. How are you doing? Uh, Harry, uh, I don't think I'll probably won't make it a, a regular thing, but it's good to, to be out to quite Newcastle again. <laughs> why not, mate? Why not? Why not? We're always uh, welcoming of other supporters, should I say. Uh, we certainly haven't got any issues with Newcastle United anyway. Harry, you were at the game on Saturday. You were in the press box doing your thing. What did you make of the of the fixture? Um, where was it won and lost, and, and just your general thoughts on the game? Well, first of all, I think it was won and lost the moment that Jamal Lascelles came off for Newcastle and Lucas Torreira came off for Arsenal. I think Torreira made Arsenal more efficient with the ball. He, he made them play it forward more uh, with a lot more pace. I mean, you don't even need to analyse the game; you just need to watch it to see that. I mean, straight away from the moment kickoff was made, Arsenal played. Much more intensity, much more, you know, vigor, and, and it took three minutes for them to get that, that free kick, and then Shaka put it away with with just superb skill, and then that next 15 minutes, that was it. Arsenal were purring, they were on top. Özil scored a brilliant goal, and then they didn't really need to do much more after that. Newcastle collapsed because Jamal Lascelles came off injured at half time. I spoke to you last week about his the impact that not having him against Chelsea had. And it was even worse because um, all of the the organisation and the the uh, the the, inst- the sort of togetherness, the inspiration that Benitez puts in place, it, it collapsed, and and it was just very easy for Arsenal in the second half. In the first half, I think Newcastle edged it early on. They did exactly what uh, I said that they would last week, and, and targeted Hector Bellerin, and and really put your defence under pressure. Got in behind them, but. Again, they didn't take their chances, and that's been an issue with Newcastle ever since they got back, promoted back to the Premier League. Just can't score goals, um, and that was our downfall in the end in the first half. But the, the defensive organisation issues in the second half just gave it on a plate for, for Arsenal. I think. Yep, all, all very good points, Harry. Now, you know, as someone who who watched Arsenal live the other day. What are your thoughts on what Unai Emery is trying to do? Have you been impressed so far? Because as Arsenal fans, it's easy to get wrapped up and in our emotions and, and want to see the best out of everything and the positive side of everything, I should say. As someone looking in from the outside, you watched Arsenal in detail this weekend. Have you seen improvements under Unai Emery? Well, there's an improvement generally because of Lucas Torreira. So I'd have to say yes. Um Arsenal were laboured in the first half they didn't pass the ball enough forward enough I don't know if that was necessarily Matteo Guendouzi's fault but when he came off and Torreira came on that changed um, defensively 
they're still all over the place. I mean, Petacek did exactly the same thing uh, in putting it at the ball for a corner that he did against Manchester City on the first game of the season, arguably under even less pressure at that point than he was against City. Um, so there are still issues to iron out, but there's definitely progress. And I think for Arsenal, you can't really think about going straight to the top, going straight to where Manchester City are or Liverpool are, because you've got the build and and sort of that, there's a transitional phase that's got to go through. Emery has started well, I think, um, but there's still a lot a lot more to to come. But the signs are very positive. I, I would say that specifically on the second half performance, there was a lot more from the from the attacking players as well. I think um, the signs are good, yeah. But uh, don't be looking at Manchester City or Chelsea for another year or two. I think I'd have to echo what everybody else has said: two or three more transfer windows. And we could be looking at some serious business. Yeah, good stuff. Harry, you were at Unai Emery's press conference after the match, the post-match conference. And we were speaking afterwards, wasn't we? We were exchanging some text messages, as you do. Um, And and you made some really interesting points. What did you take out of that press conference? Because I'm assuming that would have been the the first time you saw Unai Emery, right? Yeah, it was, the, it was the first time I've seen Emery uh, up close and personal. I've seen a few of his press conferences, but never in detail, just on the TV. I mean, um, the first thing I noticed was was his... his, his I, I was expecting people to be lavishing praise on, uh, on Mesut Ozil. I thought he was brilliant. I thought he was, other than Torreira, probably Arsenal's best player across the 90 minutes. But when directly asked about Ozil's uh, performance, he... he actually refused to, to point to give him some credit and you know individual credit to everybody's the same he's played well we've got to work with him and it was very much like after the praise that he got in the, in the pre-match conference uh, it was a step back in terms of like it was an opportunity to really put these issues with Ozil to bed and uh, I mean maybe I'm reading too much into it but it just didn't seem like that's what he was he, he, he did and and it was very strange to hear that because Ezel's a confidence player. He's a player that you need to have on side. And actually, I thought he he was one of the people that that did that kind of summed up what Emery was trying to do on uh, on Saturday. And it, that was the strangest thing I took was that he refused to give him uh, credit individually. Yeah, and one of the things I've said about Emery so far is that I feel that there's an issue with the language barrier. I think that that's a real problem at the moment. I I, I assume you would have picked that up in the press conference, but that could be having an impact in the dressing room as well, couldn't it, in terms of trying to convey his instructions and getting players to really buy into what he's doing. From seeing him live, would you agree with me where I say that perhaps there is a language issue there? Perhaps, yeah. I mean, he did use the uh, the translator a couple of times with with the more sort of elaborate questions, um, and a lot of his answers were sort of generally getting towards a point, but doing it in a way that was clearly not very. He didn't have the the best grasp of English. Um, I mean, it, it is it is tough, and that that'll come. But I don't think. I agree that, that he's having a language issue, but I think if he was still speaking English, uh, if he was speaking English with you know uh, perfect fluency, I think Arsenal would still be having these issues. I think the issues that Arsenal are having are sort of left over from Wenger, and he's just taking his own time to get the uh, his points across just naturally because of the transition. Yeah, no, great points, Harry, great points. Um, so... 
overall, you know, you saw the game. How do you see your boys finishing the season? You know, can you see Newcastle battling survival again or, or do you think you'll finish sort of... Well, I know you were kind of battling relegation last season, but you ended up finishing 10th in the end. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of a... I think that was kind of a, uh, an issue. I think that was kind of a thing that, that happened there was... Um, it was a few good results at the end of the season sort of changed the outlook of the entire season by finishing 10th really it was a relegation slog for much of it um, the atmosphere is very very down I know you said to me on the text that we were having the other day that you wouldn't feel too down if you're a Newcastle fan unfortunately that isn't really the case I think a lot of Newcastle fans there was protests before the game at Ashley um, a lot of fans have seen that that's a fifth game uh, without a win one one point uh, and that was a game that we, we had in the palm of our hand and it, the way that we surrendered it in the second half was very very worrying uh, the fact that you know when you take the cells out of the team we collapse uh, there was no Shelby um, and some fans have even have even started to, to question uh, Benitez a little bit which is a bit a bit strange on one hand but also I, I, I wasn't very impressed with his substitutions I know his, his hand was sort of tied with Dallas Hell's sub but to not bring Rondon on and to not bring uh, Shelby on and to keep Hosselu up front for, for 90 minutes and um, and Shelby uh, sorry um, and Hayden in midfield uh, who, who just didn't look interested he's wanting to leave all summer that kind of summed up the, the day for Newcastle and at the moment the outlook isn't very good it's put a lot of pressure on the next two fixtures and I think it'll be a tough hard season Benitez might just swing it but if you ask me right now am I confident Newcastle will stay up and I have to say no okay interesting what about Arsenal what do you think Arsenal should be aiming for this season is it a Europa League spot is it breaking into the top four what 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 should be the aim based on what you've seen so far and obviously the fact that you're you're neutral in this you know you can look at it sort of from the outside without any bias without any sort of emotion how do you see mm. Arsenal's season going what should we as fans be expecting well, you should expect a chance for the Champions League and, and not be too harsh on, on Emery if he doesn't achieve it I think that's that's fair um, I think you know I think that's what Arsenal fans will give I think they are going to be quite fair because at the end of the day most of them got most of you guys got what you wanted with Wenger out so I think having Wenger out was you were always going to give the next guy uh, the time the time of day for for a good couple of years as I said three, three or four two, three, four transfer windows should be enough to really get you in a position to challenge further afield but I think top six is where you'll probably you'll definitely finish in the top six probably fifth or sixth but I think you should definitely look to, to finish fourth because um, Spurs you know, doubts over Harry Kane's fitness and and how he's getting on right now. Ali's not. Ali wasn't there on Saturday, and they, and they didn't look very good with with uh, without him. So they might not be issuing Manchester United are never uh, never guaranteed. Chelsea, we don't know how long theirs their purple patch under Mauricio Sarri will last. So there's definitely a spot there open if Arsenal are consistent enough to take it. I'm just not convinced that they will be this season. Okay, lovely, Harry. Absolute pleasure having you back on the show. Do you want to quickly tell our listeners how they can keep up with you on social media? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Harry DeCosmo on Twitter, and that's basically the best place to find me. Uh, so everything that I do is, is on there, so do give me a follow, yeah. 
do make sure that you give Harry a follow. Not only has he got a great name, but he is a fantastic journalist as well. <laughs> Harry, thank you thank very you much. much and uh, we'll speak again very soon. Likewise, Harry. <laughs> thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Harry the Cosimo going to take another very quick break and we'll be back with the Evening Standards' James Bench. Enjoying what you've heard so far? If so, make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes. Joining me is journalist from the Evening Standard, James Bench. James, welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna. How are you, my friend? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Uh, still recovering from a, a busy weekend, I guess. Um, James, it was our third successive win. Um, are we starting to see a more efficient Arsenal now, would you say? Getting there. Definitely heading in the right direction. I think there's still so many questions to be answered up top. And a team of that kind of quality is not not creating as many chances as you would expect. I mean, there's so much confusion over who in the three behind Lacazette, what what job are they doing? What position are they in? Um, there's still a lot of work to be done, but I think kind of when, when Arsenal click, they do look really dangerous. You know, as we saw, it was kind of just a blitz against Newcastle um, that, that really won the game. That's encouraging. It's good to know that when Arsenal play well, they can just sweep teams aside, but still at that stage where they've not really put a full, a really top quality performance together for sort of 90 minutes. So there's work still to be done. Yeah, it seems like we're lacking a little bit of fluency, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. I think it feels like a team where no one's entirely sure what their, what their job is and what their best position is. Ramsey is a sort of 10 you know, that far advanced, I personally don't like. I think he's be- he's much better coming in late. Ozil off the right is not the same player. Um, I actually think Aubameyang off the left is the sort of long-term answer for how you fit all this together. But because none of those three know what their jobs are, you don't really click in an attacking sense. There's no... The, fluency is the right word. It's not very smooth. It's sort of one of the three of them behind Lacazette will do something, you hope... And that will change the game rather than it, it, it all kind of clicking together. Um, I mean, it's the same thing kind of with someone like Bellerin. He's just basically been told, do you mind looking after the right flank while Messick goes and wanders? Um, so it's, it's, it's odd. You wouldn't really say at the moment they have a sort of particular style. That, and there isn't particular style about the way they, they do things. But at the same time, they've won every game you'd expect them to win. That's right, and and I've been saying it for weeks now. I think, well, at least a couple of weeks. You know, I think we've got the same points that we probably would have had had Arsene Wenger still been in charge. So, it's very hard to measure the progress at the moment. Now, Lucas Torreira seemed to make a massive difference when he was introduced at half time. Can you see him and Granite Xhaka forming a strong partnership in the middle of the park going forward? Yeah, I can actually. I think I think they look like a pair who not only do they mask each other's weaknesses, but they kind of magnify each other's strengths. You know, Xhaka is is at his best when he's got someone mobile next to him who can do his running for him and can free him to to play passes. 
I think with with Guendouzi, he, he was still learning his, his way in the team, whereas Torreira comes in, he knows what he's going to do. He's going to provide energy in the middle of the pitch. Um, he's going to, you know, throw himself into tackles, but also just, just get up and down. And I think sometimes Xhaka felt obliged to do that himself. And so often last season, you see... 10 yards in front of the play and you thought actually you're supposed to be the sort of deep lying playmaker the the Xabi Alonso type who picks the ball up and passes it uh, out out from the back and I think with Torreira there he he he's got a better grasp on that Jacka knows a bit more what he wants to do with the ball it also helps Torreira is a really good player who can just about do everything um, you know I'm going to hold my hands up I didn't watch a huge amount of Sampdoria last season I'd seen a bit of him and, and he was very decent but I think we all sort of thought he was a, a tackler you know a ball winner but he can do that but so much more some of the passes he was playing in the second half I think he played the ball to a Bamiyang that won the free kick that Xhaka scored from. And it was it was a really incisive pass given to a Bamiyang with a lot of pace. It, it was the sort of delivery that allows a forward to do something. He, they look good together. I think, you know, also from a purely financial perspective, they're two major investments on big wages and all that. But I think you've got what looks like a decent pairing there. Yeah, couldn't agree more. As another player who's come in is, is Socrates. And, uh, you know, he was quite heavily criticised before he'd even played for Arsenal, you know, including, well, everybody, including myself, used to say he was slow and sluggish. And But he seems to be getting better from week to week. And we saw this weekend that he's got a bit of recovery pace. Yeah, which he's going to need. If he's playing alongside Mustafi, he's going to need that recovery pace. <laughs> I... I have to say, I've, I, I've not really seen him put much of a foot wrong. It, it's a bit sad the way that kind of people kind of probably, I suspect, judge him on FIFA or whatever. You know, and there's this assumption that pace is the only thing that matters to a player now. And Socrates is, you know, Arsenal knew when they signed him that he's not quick. What he does do is he reads the game very well, as you would expect from a, a veteran centre-back. He he knows what's going to happen before it happens, which means you don't need pace. I mean, you know, you wouldn't go over the top, but he, he does remind me of the sort of old-school centre-backs that, that Arsenal had when Arsene Wenger arrived, in that, they, that, that there's so much experience in what they do. You know, they've seen everything that happens a hundred times over, and I think maybe in those early games where I actually thought Socrates was good, but not great. He was still kind of getting a read on the Premier League, but I think he's starting to get that now and he does look really solid. He looks like the sort of defender that he might not make a huge number of of game-saving tackles, but he's also not going to make a mistake. So many Arsenal defenders, even the the really good ones like Koscielny, they do good stuff, but they also do a lot of bad stuff. I think what I like about Socrates he doesn't look like he's going to sort of throw a rick at any stage and I think you could pair him with anyone and he'd, he'd just be a bit steady yeah no that's a very fair assessment I'd say now from scrolling through social media and of course talking to Arsenal fans over the weekend it seems as though there's a bit of concern around Aaron Ramsey you know at the moment in my opinion anyway we don't seem to be getting the most out of him in this current system you've touched on the fact that him and Ozil are kind of being asked to do a little bit of a strange role. They're kind of like playing on the flanks, but they're not, if you know what I mean. Um, do you see that as a problem that Emery needs to, to rectify? Is that another sort of problem that he's got and, and that he needs to sit and have a good think about? 
You know, this is starting to remind me a little bit of Theo Walcott uh, a few years back when he was, you know, when he was kind of, his contract was running out and Arsenal kind of did whatever Theo wanted to convince him to sign that new deal. I remember him, him playing up front and when it was good, it was brilliant against Newcastle, but, but quite often you were like, no, Theo, mate, you're not a central striker. And I just look at Aaron and, I don't think he's a number 10 in this sort of Arsenal team with those players around him. I think if you got rid of Ozil, or if you didn't have a player like Ozil in the team, maybe it works a bit better as a sort of more natural 4-3-3 with Ramsey coming in late. But that, that's not what he does in this team. He, he kind of is trying to play like a 10. And I think that the logical solution, the, the, the kind of most consistent run of form I've seen from Ramsey since... Uh, that remarkable um, season what, five years ago now when he was the best player in the Premier League in the first half of the season. The best I've seen him play since then is as a right midfielder, you know, a kind of shuttler who brings balance on that flank. You know, he, he, he works well with Bellerin. Um, it was him, him on the right, Ozil as a 10 um, and Sanchez on the left which actually you kind of see working quite well if you kind of swap out Sanchez for Aubameyang. Um, and Ramsey just is a solid presence, gets back, covers in in defence, but he absolutely hated that role. He, he he came, you know, down to the mix zone that season all the time and he was always going, you know, I'll do this for the team, but it's not where I see my future. And I think, you know, you, if you, you can get away with that when he's got three and a half years on his contract, but you can't start flinging Ramsey out into the right wing when you want him to sign a new deal. And there's so many other facets to it, whether that's money or, uh, you know, what sort of role he's going to get within the, the, the squad. Is he going to be vice captain, whatever, all that. It kind of feels like Arsenal are giving in to Ramsey and Emery is just, will do whatever it takes to get him to sign that new deal. When kind of, you just think Emery's going to have to make a decision between Ozil and Ramsey which one of them plays best in the 10? Probably Ozil. Maybe there's games where you you don't play him because you need a bit more energy and you need kind of someone that's going to track back. But Ozil's your best number 10 in that team. He's on 350 grand a week. They need to start building around him and not Aaron Ramsey, at very least until Ramsey commits to a new deal. Yeah. If that means benching him, that, that really should mean benching him because Mkhitaryan's playing well. It won't be when he's played has done well. Ramsey hasn't. Yeah, no, totally agree. And it's, it's becoming a bit of a problem for us. Now, someone else who's linked with a move away from Arsenal is Ivan Gazidis. Strong reports today that he's agreed to join AC Milan. What are your feelings on his sort of imminent departure? Do you think it will have that bigger impact on the club? No. <laughs> um, I think it will happen. It will happen, by all accounts. I'd be very surprised if he's not got. If an announcement is, doesn't come in the next sort of matter of weeks, I think you know it looks like Josh Kroenke would be the one to step in, which you know I think is quite a smart idea. I've you know followed the NBA a lot, and he's done okay work with the Denver Nuggets since you know in a, in a similar job there. And uh, you know it feels like a lot of Arsenal fans are getting quite emotionally invested in. in Ivan Gazidis, but kind of take a step back and think over nine years, what has he actually done? Commercial revenues have increased a bit, but Arsenal are always playing catch up on the sponsorship front. And so much of the rest of the revenue is, 
is TV, which is a rising tide that, that, that raises all the boats. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of been, if you look at the nine years and what's defined those, that period, certainly post uh, building the Emirates, it's been this constant run of contract standoffs, Van Persie, Fabregas, um, Sanchez, Ozil, a good chief executive doesn't allow a club to, to, to be kind of held to ransom on an annual basis by players. I mean, I honestly, you know, Gazidis has not been a very good chief executive for Arsenal. Uh, and I think Arsenal fans should be quite pleased to see him go. Um, as much as, as it was very sad to lose Arsene Wenger, I think everyone agrees he should have gone before then. But Gazidis had neither the power nor the, the gumption to, to move Arsene on. Um, you know, ask, as I say, what's he done? I, personally, as a, with my fan hat on, I wouldn't miss him at all. I, I think, you know, I've, I've seen enough great players and great names move on from Arsenal that if Ivan wants to go, bye-bye, mate. Not really very bothered. <laughs> lovely james thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to join me um do you want to just quickly let our listeners know how they can follow you on twitter yeah it's at james benj easy peasy lovely cheers cheers now unfortunately we are running out of time but we're going to get through a few of your listener questions this first one coming in from the texas gooner on Twitter, any concerns about Mustafi and Bellerin with our upcoming match versus Everton had multiple instances of mix-ups, strokes, lapses against Newcastle and will be up against a tricky winger in Richarlison. If I'm honest, mate, I'm not overly concerned uh, by those two, if I'm being totally honest. I think those two have been asked to bomb forward this season. As I've said many times before, I think they provide the team with the natural width um, that we're so obviously lacking in the forward areas. Of course, defensively, that leaves us short at times. But I think if Unai Emery gets the midfield right, if he can find that right combination, which I believe is Torreira and Xhaka, then you can accommodate for that. You know, if Torreira's willing to slip in and cover where necessary, when Bellerin does get forward and likewise Xhaka on the other side, then I think we'll be okay. So I'm not overly concerned about that, to be honest. Um, Melvin Marks, big shout out to him, regular listener. Melvin, we have discussed Aaron Ramsey earlier on in the show. Um, so do listen back to that. Um, Mid Carter J, another supporter of the show, says, do you think that Aubameyang should start on Thursday night in the Europa League I think he looks like he's lacking a little bit of confidence in my opinion so it wouldn't be a disaster to start him I think if he if he was to play and get a few goals it won't do him any harm uh so yeah I, I guess so I can see why why you would think that and and why it may be a worthwhile move and of course last but not least the news broke today regarding Ivan Gazidis that it looks like he's going to be on his way. We've known it for quite some time, but stronger reports coming today. Um, I, I put a tweet out on the Chronicles of, an, of a Guna account saying that it seems Mr. Gazidis has reached an agreement with Milan. And I asked how you guys were feeling, disappointed, angry, pleased, whatever it may be. Just going to read through some of the responses because some of these were absolutely priceless. Um, this one comes from Mr. DJ at Expat Guna. Club executives come and go. He's following the next bigger bag to secure. We weren't hurting as a club before he arrived and surely won't be in purgatory now that he's leaving. May we see a fresh young face in his seat on the board? 
Alex Scott, perhaps. Oh, that'd be nice. But it looks like it's going to be one of the cronky boys. Um, Sophie Nicolau from the Highbury Squad podcast. She says, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Cool J on Twitter says indifference. He's feeling indifferent about the news. Um, Peter John Thacker says not bothered. Let him go so long as he doesn't take Ramsey with him. Uh, Nick Morham, drive him to the airport. Abject failure. Uh, bitter and stout chuffed to bits. So I guess the general consensus is that people are not that bothered that Ivan Gazid is, is seemingly off. That brings us to the end of another episode. Of course, the Chronicles of Aguna is brought to you by loserpool.com. Do check them out. My thanks to every single one of you who sent in a question, left a comment. And of course, those of you that just listen to us for the sake of it, for the fun of it. Uh, we love you all. Thank you very much for your support. Of course, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Our podcasts are now available on YouTube too. Of course, the FNX Network and TuneIn Radio Acast all the usual places we'll be back on Thursday with our Everton preview until then take care meet our hero he's a smart guy who loves sports and loves outwitting other people our hero needs to show the world his mastery of the game our hero does this by playing games at loser pool our hero is you Loserpool has two games. In the namesake, the games of an entire season are grouped together into weeks or rounds. After paying an entry fee, you choose one team to lose that week or round. If you're correct, you earn the right to repeat the process in the next round. But the catch is that you cannot choose a team a second time until all the teams have been chosen by you once. If you're knocked out early, you may re-enter the same pool by paying a penalty to make it fair for the other players. Or you may wait until the next pool starts in a few weeks. Razor Pool is similar to Loser Pool in that the games of an entire season are grouped together. But in this case, you pay the entry fee and predict the outcome of all the games in that week or round. You will be ranked against all other players according to your accuracy. And at the end of each round, a predetermined percentage of players will be eliminated. There is no option to buy back into a pool if you are eliminated, <laughs> and so you will have to wait until the next pool starts to play again. In both games, the prize money grows very rapidly. The pool is allocated to the last man standing, or to add a little drama, to a small surviving group if they vote according to predetermined rules. Loser Pool is about community, friendship, fun and rivalry. Discuss and debate the games and events of the week with players from around the world. Invite your friends and co-workers into your own sub-pools and see who can outsmart the group and earn bragging rights. This is your moment. Create an account. Show your sports genius. Be the hero.